Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. I'm Charlie Gilkey, host of the Creative Giant Show, and I'm delighted to have Lucy Pierce join me on the show today. Lucy Pierce lives to create, connect, and inspire. She is a multiple Amazon best-selling author, publisher, vibrant artist, teacher, and mother of three young children. Her book, The Rainbow Way, Cultivating Creativity in the Mist of Motherhood, was a number one bestseller on Amazon in the UK and US. Most of our conversation today will have The Rainbow Way as an anchor. The former contributing editor at Juno Magazine, Lucy is the founder of Womancraft Publishing, which publishes life-changing, paradigm-shifting books by women for women. Their first book, The Heart of the Labyrinth, went straight to number one in his genre on Amazon and was shared by Paulo Coelho on all his social media channels. Lucy is passionate about helping midwife creativity and offers mentoring and editorial services at lucenworld.com. We're going to link up all of these different things on the, on the show notes, so don't worry about taking notes right now. She blogs on creativity, mindfulness, and motherhood at dreamingaloud.net and is the creator of thehappywomb.com for empowering women's resources. Her articles have been featured in newspapers, websites, and magazines around the world, and she is also much in demand as a speaker on radio and telesummits. As you can see, Lucy has a lot going on, and she's going to have a lot of great insights about creativity and especially as it relates to women and motherhood. I do want to say before we get going that um, this conversation will highlight a lot of issues related to motherhood, womanhood, and creativity, but I'm also going to be asking questions to bring men and non-mothers into the conversations as well, so you might want to listen and not just check out thinking that this one's not for you. Um, Lucy, thanks so much for the work you do and for being on the show today. Mm, Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be talking with you. Good. So um, let's pull everybody into the conversation. I love the first line of your bio in the rainbow way, Um, and it provides such a good springboard. So it says that you're a third generation creative rainbow mother who has to relearn on a daily basis how to find balance and um, limit the visits from her inner crazy woman. That's the one. How did your upbringing influence your current way of being in the world? Um, Well, it has absolutely made me who I am. Um, I I come from three generations back, maybe more of creative entrepreneurs. Um, My father is a renowned potter here in Ireland. Um, My uncle, Simon Pierce, is a renowned glassblower and craftsman over in the U.S., Um, Every single member of my family on both sides of my family have made their livings creatively. We've got actors, artists, architects. Um, I'm the first uh, writer, serious writer, but lots of people have dabbled in writing and self-publishing, book selling, all sorts of things. So I have grown up around that. For me, it is normal to see people earning their living creatively. For me, it is normal to see people spending their leisure time doing creative things. So for me, it's just my whole life has been colored and influenced that way with having beautiful handmade things around. Um, So a a creative rainbow mother is a slightly strange term. It comes from Lynn V. Andrews and her Medicine Woman series. And she used it to describe the sort of woman and the sort of mother who 
really struggles with being a mother. It's the opposite of the traditional earth mother type, you know, the kind of the hands-on, lovey-dovey, just wanting to be there, nurturing her kids and getting all her satisfaction from her kids. It's the opposite. So it's, it's a woman who is lit up by her own inner fires, by her creativity, by her desire to be out there in the world and inspire. And so rather than being the best at being home with kids actually you're best at inspiring them and doing it that way so I discovered this the hard way I, I discovered this from thinking I was going to be an earth mother having my kids thinking I was going to be staying home with them and suddenly realizing that if I did that I'd go crazy so um, I'd seen my mother do the stay-at-home mum thing and struggle with it because she's so creative I know my grandmother had done the same. So I come from this line of women who had tried to be the nurturing mother, tried to be the wife and the mother that society expects women to be and to be naturally. But actually, those of us who aren't that, we're trying to fit ourselves into some box which just doesn't, doesn't work for us and doesn't work for our children. So for me, it, I'd seen how that worked two generations back and I knew I needed to choose something different. So it was really that knowledge which empowered and inspired me to break forward on another path, one fueled by my creativity rather than keeping that on the back burner. That's a wonderful intro because a lot of creative giant women have that same problem in that, you know, um, well, let me put it this way. I, I, I have to be careful here, right? Because I don't have kids and I'm not a woman. So in some ways that disqualifies me from having a lot of conversations about women's issues when it comes to creativity. On the other hand, it really does make me qualified because I deal with it in a lot of different ways and I'm not stuck inside the same paradigm. Mm -hmm. And um, what I, I call it with them, and normally this is in private conversations, but this is a creative giant show and things go public. I normally call it mom guilt, right? Mm -hmm. Because they have, they're working on their thing and they're doing really well, but there's this lingering mom guilt about everything they should be doing to be like the traditional mother's thing. I, you mm -hmm. know, and before reading your book, I didn't have the, you know, the creative rainbow mother as an archetype that I can tell them, but believe it, I will be telling them because I can think of <laughs> about six clients and I need to tell about this right now. Uh, but there's this immense level of mom guilt that they're projecting on themselves and that people are projecting on them and it's really getting in the way of their work. So mm. that's one of the things I did love about the book is that it, it made room for a mother who was also, um, we'll talk about this later, I was going to say productive, but we'll, we'll get there, um, that's mm. creative, that's involved in the world, that's not necessarily her whole life revolves around nurturing their kids in that way that we see, that we see and idolize from the traditional mother set. Absolutely, yeah, that's the one. And then I just, I realized that I hadn't addressed the crazy woman aspect. So the crazy woman aspect is like the flip side of the, the creative rainbow mother. So it's, it's the dark side, the shadow. So when the creative woman is not being able to be out in the world, is not able to express herself creatively, which is how she thrives in this world, then that dark side, the shadow side, comes out more and more. And, it, you know, the crazy woman, we recognize her. She comes out through depression. She comes out through PMS, through fury and anger, boiling resentment. She comes out through all sorts of ways, through alcoholism, through addiction, through overeating. It's that energy turned in on ourselves that we're not able to express 
creatively and so it eats us up and therefore it eats our families up too so that's why it's so important that women who do have this creative energy find ways to be able to express it and get it out because it does eat you up otherwise yeah the inner crazy woman another way you might think about that because i see it as a common archetype or pattern is the passive aggressive martyr Mm -hmm. Um, and so like taking on all the responsibilities and then being really frustrated and setting up the entire games that we see, I mean, it's just such a, such a pattern in our culture that that might also be another way to associate with the inner crazy woman as well. Yeah. Or trying to live everything out through your kids. I mean, a lot of women who have a lot of energy who can't get it out other ways will do everything through their kids. They'll push their kids too hard. They'll get, they'll take their kids' achievements as their own rather than actually, this is my life and I'm achieving here and these are my kids' life and I'm supporting them and they're achieving in their way. And they, they're free to walk their paths. I don't need to walk their paths through them. I get to walk my own path alongside them. And that's, you know, we're not encouraged to do that in our culture. You know, as a woman, you're encouraged to basically step back when you have kids and, you know, your life comes second. Yeah, you know, and one of the things I appreciate about, about your book, Lucy, is that it didn't go deep into gender essentialism, saying that women are necessarily this way because their women or mothers are necessarily this way. So I was actually, before I read, I was like, oh, please don't <laughs> let it be one of those. Because it's going to be an awkward conversation because I think a lot of gender essentialism is bullshit. It's just excuses that we tell ourselves yeah, no, about absolutely. what we can and can't do. Absolutely. No, I mean, women women are all just people, just like men are all just people. You know, we have biological rhythms um, as similarities as women. You know, we have the act of giving birth um, as a similarity. But after that we're all very different <laughs> yeah well and you've seen it in your work too where it's like uh, i was i was almost going to put this on facebook yesterday but i decided i didn't want to get into a fight on facebook about it but <laughs> point of this is like this myth that like women are better at multitasking women being women qua women are better at multitasking than men and i'm like you know, there's an entire socialization process that happens such that mm-hmm. women learn to do certain types of activities while they're doing other types of activities that men mm-hmm. don't learn, but it's not something essential about women that makes them good at multitasking. It's all true. No, absolutely not. And something I, I do, I do bring up multitasking in the book because I say, yeah, great. Multitasking is great and we can harness that, but also unitasking, really focusing in on one task, really getting ourselves to be there and present with just the one thing that we're doing. That's just as essential as a creative. doesn't matter if you're male or female, you have to be able to flip between those kind of two two abilities absolutely absolutely and here's what i'll say about that before we move on don't loud your ability like don't be really proud of your ability to multitask and be like i'm a superstar at multitasking and then simultaneously be frustrated that you're not getting the right things done there's Mm. a relationship between those two people (laughs) Mm. (laughs) um so let's talk about these sort of myths and assumptions about what being a mother does to one's creativity so which of the common ones do you think are pointing to something true and like we need to pay attention to and which are just you know either bs or limiting beliefs um the biggest bs that i heard when i was pregnant and i took on as truth for around a year was when you become a mother you become the frame and your child becomes the picture and another way of saying that is when you become a mother your child is your creative outlet both of those completely crippled me because I thought to want to follow my own dreams still to want to have my own work to want to do stuff that had absolutely zero to do with my kids was selfish and therefore bad and wrong. 
And that's that's really messy. If you're if this core thing that you're needing to do is also bad and wrong and the thing that you mustn't do, you're in a terrible, terrible dilemma. Um, another thing is is this need, especially with attachment parenting, and I, I can talk from being an attachment parent in many ways. I co-slept with my kids, I breastfed my kids, I home birthed my kids, I sling wore my kids, is that you're supposed to be with your child all the time. Your brain's supposed to be on your child all the time. That there is no space, no you that that can have creative expression. And that's that's just that's so wrong. <laughs> Women need, mothers need, fathers need, people without children need time to themselves to create. It's a basic essential. If you are a creative person, you need headspace without anybody else there to create. Um, and the problem for mothers is that usually they are kind of by default the main carer and therefore have to really learn to negotiate time to create. And so therefore you have to learn to prioritize your creativity and know how important it is because often creativity kind of seems like a hobby or it seems like, you know, kind of a nice little extra that you'll do when you've got a little bit of time when actually, as I was saying before, for creative people, it is, it is sanity. It is a form of living expression of meditation of whatever it is for you that is essential to your well-being and existence on this planet. And therefore, it has to be prioritized in the same way that you prioritize your dentist appointments and going to your kid's school play. I mean, it's the sort of thing that has to be put in the diary and made time for. But women often find it very difficult to ask for what they need to prioritize in that way. So in the book, I really go into detail in step by step how to negotiate with your partner or whoever else you share the care of your children with or people who support you in the care of your children, how to actively negotiate time for your creativity and to do the same for your partner so that because dads are in the same situation you know the mum will kind of say I need time for myself and race out the door and then you know he's in the space where he can't ask for his creative time and if you've got a creative couple like I am like many people I know are living in you know then the resentment really builds up between the partners you know you've had your creative time I haven't had any for me so that's really crucial is to figure out a way to actively schedule in creative time and prioritize it in your life. Yeah, you just triggered a lot of people. I'm going to let that sit for a little bit, but I want to talk <laughs> really what we're talking about with creativity because part of it is is that people have this like it's artsy black beret like this sort of high culture thing. But what I appreciated is um, on page 38 and 39, you mentioned gardening, editing, prop building, woodworking, and event organization is all as creative activities. And I think that's mm. part of you know, part of the people's frame is like, you've got to like, I've got to make time for myself and I want to learn to paint and make it really hard as opposed to maybe crochet or maybe gardening or there are all these other ways which are great creative outlets for people. So um, that's what we're talking about when we talk about creative stuff. It's not just absolutely you, you've got to and be as a parent, as a, Sorry, as a parent, you, you need to be able to find activities that you can do to fit in around, you know, so the kids are kind of milling in and out and it's something that you can pick up and put down easily, not, you know, some great sculpture that you've got to kind of, you know, go to a specialist place and have time alone and have big tools. You know, it has, you have to have some creative outlets which you can do there domestically at home around the kids with the kids that you can pick up and put down. Because if you don't have that, if you only have creativity that's big, 
that you have to be completely away from people from, you will also go crazy. So you need your little side projects too, your cooking, your gardening, your whatever it is that you can express yourself. Yeah, and, and what I wanted to say is, um, and I'm going to get in trouble here, but you know, I get in trouble all the time anyways. Look, like cooking and house cleaning and arranging your house can be a creative outlet depending upon how one pr- approaches that. And so I think with the many waves of feminism, we've gotten to the point that those activities are inherently less than, and that's a whole critique that I don't know that we're going to have time mm. to get into a lot, Lucy, but we have that whole thing that any of these types of things are less than, they're beneath you, there's no art, there's no soul in it, as opposed to being like, actually, that's that's part of the very fabric of mm. human existence, and, and taking time to make a really delicious meal in a way that really works, that's a creative act, Absolutely. Folks. Yeah, I, t- I talk creativity with the small t- small C, but also, you know, high art as well. I think both are important, um, and my focus in my life is how how can I express myself in everything that I'm doing from the clothes that I choose to put up on in the morning to, you know, if I decide to make something nice for the kids for breakfast to, you know, the painting that I do, the editing I do, the pins that I pinned on Pinterest, you know, all of that, they're all expressions of my creative energy coming out. Yeah, so now that we have that in play, I can go back to how you triggered folks earlier, right? Because oh, goodness, okay. <laughs> you're like, oh, I was wanting to go right past that. So, I mean, the thing is, we're talking about daily creativity, little C, or, you know, daily innovation with a little I, right? These things mm-hmm. show up everywhere, and that's mm-hmm. how you become more creative, and in some ways, well, in a lot of ways, happier, because you're able to get all that mental and creative and emotional energy out into something in the world. Otherwise it it backs up and you get creatively constipated. Mm -hmm. Not a good thing. Um, But as you know, before we talked about the creativity, I can just hear those, those moms, you know, um, that just are basically saying either that's really good for you, Lucy, you come from this background, (laughs) right? Or like, I've got all this other stuff to do and I can't prioritize it because I got to do it all. And if I don't do it, no one else will do it. And, you know, mm-hmm. those stories that you've heard that I've heard as well. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say to those moms? Um, the first thing is there is no moral obligation to be creative. If it's not if it's not eating you alive, then, you know, relax on yourself. It was eating me alive. So I had to do it. Um so that's the first thing, like you're not a better person if you write a novel or you paint a picture or you have a perfect garden or, you know, you're not a better person. It's just a way of expressing your energy in the world. So that's number one. I'm not judging anybody on how how creative they are. I just have a lot of that going on in my life. And I, I thought I could park it until the kids were older. I thought that's what I could and should do. And I discovered that I couldn't. So that's number one. I'm a total maniac with the amount of creative energy going through me. I don't think most people have that degree of it. So that's point number one. You then asked, go on, put put the question to me again, because there was a second bit that was interesting to me, and it's gone out of my head. (laughs) Well, it it was a broad rant, so I I understand if you couldn't, if if they had a lot of things. The other part was that I don't have time to prioritize. I've got all this stuff to do. People are depending upon me. If I don't do it, no one else will do it. That whole construct that, Absolutely. That, That I get. That I have less sympathy for, not in a kind of a mean way, but in a real way. Okay, I had three children in four and a half years. Okay. I, my husband was working full time. I had no paid childcare. So it was just me and three kids going crazy together in a house. Um, before the eldest started school in the time between 
having my second, no, my third child and my first one starting school. So in that four year period, I wrote four books, wrote a couple of blogs, started painting again, started a publishing company with the tiny little bits of time that I eked out. And then I prioritized more time as they went to, um, to play school and this, that, and the other. And I don't race home and clean my house. If you come to my house, I apologize that my house is a shithole and you come in and that's life. What I prioritize is the second I don't have kids in tow, I'm working on my creative stuff. That is my absolute priority for my life. I then negotiated with my husband so he pulled back from, from his full-time work to three days a week so that I then took on two days a week where I had to, through my creativity, find some way to earn enough money for our family. So I put myself in a position of forcing <laughs> more creativity because I knew it's what lit me up and I knew it's what I needed to do. So, you know, I, I get that we all have a gazillion things to do, but for example, I was in my, my son's parent-teacher meeting and I was telling her that, you know, homework's a bit much at the moment. She said, you know, we all have to do things we hate. I have to do the ironing every day. And I, I thought, you know what, I don't iron. I haven't ironed a thing in probably five years, even to go to weddings. That's something I choose not to spend my time on because my time is better worth spent reading a book than ironing. So it's priorities too. We think we have to do everything, but actually we don't. You don't have to cook a really fancy meal. We had beans on toast for supper tonight, you know, because something else came up. We were at a dancing class and that's what we were doing. So you choose your priorities in this life and you need to make your priorities your priorities and your family's priorities, not other people on the outside's priorities. So that's my take on it. Well, I'm glad you said that because um, there was a reaction that someone had to something I wrote last month that is like, you know, here it is, yet another guy talking about prioritization and they just don't get it and, you know, things like that. And um, I was like, hmm, you know, she has a point in the sense that there's a lot of emphasis in the male, in, you know, males talking about this, but this is mm. a global thing. This is not a gender mm. thing, which no. kind of leads me into the next topic, because I've noticed that creativity, like in single quotes, like that conversation has now become gender polarized in the way that productivity is gender polarized, like polarized towards masculinity stuff. Right. Mm. And so we see, I wrote a, a few years back, I wrote a post called, what if women cared about productivity? And it made a point that the conversation about productivity was very male biased and that, you know, it really had a different tone to it than if women cared about it. And if we cared about sort of the global issues rather than just counting stuff, right, mm -hmm. uh, business related goals, you know, all those different things related to productivity. And since then, I've seen that creativity, like the, the topic has begun gender polarized in the sense that like it's much um, it's not. Let me be clear. It's not that women don't care about productivity, even though that was the headline, right? It's mm -hmm. not that you don't care, but the words and the way that it's discussed doesn't resonate to a degree. For instance, mm -hmm. um, the subtitle of your book could just as easily be um, cultivating productivity in the midst of motherhood because mm -hmm. of what it actually covers. Yet, mm -hmm. I think we can both agree that it would resonate less with its intended reader. Yeah, good call. What's going I, on there? You know, I had never considered that. Yeah. 
Well, you see, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of an entrepreneurial geek. When I finally came out as a creative entrepreneur, and that that took a while, but when I finally came out as a creative entrepreneur, it was like, oh, cool. Now I'm allowed to read loads of stuff about business and productivity and stuff. But you're right, it is. It always feels, it is more male biased, certainly. Um, and and I always feel slightly geeky being into it. Um, and I, I know that it's not a thing that a lot of um, my female friends would enjoy reading. So, yeah, why wouldn't it be a, um, cultivating productivity in the midst of motherhood? Because, you know what, I think um, as women and mothers, we're under so much pressure to be everything to everyone and do everything. And productivity just feels like another pressure to produce. And my focus in that book and in my work very much is not on product, but on process. So rather than judging your creativity by how much you have produced or even what you have produced, instead, I'm far more interested in the act of creating, the process of creating and the benefits that that creates in your life. Um, through the process of creating because for me creativity is about allowing energy to flow through us um, creative energy to flow through us and so allowing ourselves to kind of be channels for whatever it is that's coming through us whatever ideas whatever concepts whatever paintings whatever it is that's wanting to come through us that we allow that to come through us and therefore you know in this particular book, the focus isn't on how much you can produce or how efficiently you can produce it, but rather simply allowing that process of flow to become integrated into your life as a mother and finding ways to allow that flow to come through all of the different bits of your life rather than being blocked or shut down to it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, there's a broader sort of thing that I've been writing about on, on productive flourishing, just that we need to reframe productivity in general. Mm. Right. To be much more in line with what you're talking about, which is why mm. I talk a lot about start finishing. Right. And mm -hmm. that concept is because it's not it's about getting involved in the process of continual production, continual, not not end goal related production, but just mm. work up every day and finish something that matters to you. Right. Mm. And start mm. finishing that and knowing that you'll never actually be finished. Right. There's mm. so there's weirdness that happens. But again, a lot of my productivity is related just on creative knowledge work and, and our types of lies, Lucy. So obviously we would see some conversions there. Um, but, you know, I did find it interesting because, um, as I was saying before I started recording, I was really, or maybe I said it on the call, I don't remember, but I was really worried that it was going to be like, you know, a, um, a certain way of talking about creativity that it would be hard to interface with. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that like, there's this weirdness going on with productivity and creativity and that it's mm. just... I don't know. I don't have a whole lot to, to really conclusively say about it, except for I'm observing it and it's an interesting sort of thing to watch out for. Mm, mm. Well, I'm really glad you've kind of, you've, you've turned my brain onto that because it's not something that I had, it's something that I had felt instinctively, but I hadn't gone further with that feeling, um, hadn't, hadn't kind of investigated it. But yeah, yeah, you've got your finger on something there. Alrighty, so let's switch it to this way. How can men support the women and mothers in their lives who want to become um, a creative rainbow mother or just want to find an outlet in there. Cause I know, well, let me give some context here. So I'm, you know, married to Angela Wheeler. She's, you know, got a doctorate in, in sociology. She's a wonderful thinker, wonderful creative. And I'm always sort of like 
sometimes in a bad way, like being like, hey, you need a room of your own or, hey, I got you this thing because she's always talking about how to be more creative. And then it creates pressure and then we have fun conversations about that. Mm. Um, but, but um, you know, for, for the men listening, yeah, for the men listening to the call um, or anyone listening to the call, how can men support women in, in making um, daily, making da- daily creative practices and, and becoming a creative rainbow woman? Right. Good. Good question. Okay. The first thing is to, to go back to what I was saying before about scheduling to take time as a couple to schedule in time for creativity for both of you, not a pressure on one person. If you're both creative in any way, Find a way that you schedule regular creative time into your life. So, for example, my husband and I tend to do a Saturday. I would get the morning. He would get the afternoon. No questions asked. You just, that's your time to go off and do whatever you need to do. So it might be catching up on some business stuff for me. It might be lying in bed and reading a book without the kids bothering me. It might be heading off painting. It might be heading off for a walk on the beach and creating creating a a random act of beauty, so creating a labyrinth or a stone spiral or something on the beach. I don't need to tell him where I'm going. I don't need to justify why I'm going. I don't need to show him anything when I get back. It's just that is my time and he has the same for him. So that's that's number one. I I laughed when you you said, I mean, I think a room of of one's own is really important. we don't have a house big enough for a room of our own, so we have to kind of share the bedroom. We've now got an office space that we share, so you know one of us can have the office space and the other one is out of it. Having space to oneself, just that is private, I think is really important. But my husband, for years and years, um, every Christmas would ask me for a painting. And every year I said, I can't paint. He'd seen all my stuff that I'd done at school. And about a year after school, I just stopped painting. I just, I got blocked. I couldn't do it. And for 10 years, every Christmas, he'd ask me for a painting. And every Christmas, I told him I couldn't. Until eventually, a couple of friends said to me, but why don't you paint? You love color. You're always talking about art. And I just said, no, I just can't. And then it kind of, that unblocked something for me. I found a course, I started painting, and I haven't stopped since. So sometimes the pressure from somebody close to you is is too much and too hard because you know they're, they're doing it because they love you, but you're too scared. You're scared of what if you fail? You're scared of what if, what if you look stupid or what if it's not good enough or all of that. And I guess you're most scared of doing that for the person you're closest to. So I can, I can understand that. Um, the other thing I would say about men supporting their women in creativity is this, that a woman's menstrual cycle is deeply tied to her creativity. So around ovulation, our creative energy becomes huge. Um, We are very out there in the world. We're very open, gregarious, wanting to interact and collaborate, full of ideas and energy to see them through. And then as we get towards menstruation, we become more inward focused, more darker in our moods, quieter, not wanting to be in contact with people around us, feeling everything very, very deeply physically and emotionally we're very very alert and attuned to things so the best thing to do is to help your woman to become aware of these tides of her own creative energy 
And if you're wanting to do something collaborative, if she's got a big thing coming up, make sure that that happens at an ovulatory time. So that's kind of around days, between days 9 to 15 of her cycle. Because if she's trying to do something big and scary, say a book launch or starting a new course or teaching or something that she finds scary or, you know, something that's very overwhelming, at, just before her period and during the first couple of days of her period, disaster is going to strike. So it's just to be aware of that energy, that creative energy that helps us to create life in our wombs and give birth. That is also there with ovulation and menstruation every single month. So for a woman to be able to tap into that and know that pattern is, is really crucial. Yeah, I, I've noticed on my side, on the male side, that I have much more like historical memory of when those things happen mm -hmm. um, because I don't go through them. So I don't have the sort of ups and downs. And so it's mm. much easier for me to be like, oh, it's this time, not this time of the month, because I'd always just said in a bad way coming from a guy, Absolutely. but it's like, yeah, yeah. here's where we are in the cycle. Here's what happened last month. You might not want to do that. And all those things are mm -hmm. not necessarily like top of mind for Angela because she's going through them. So I think that's, you know, yeah. in that way, in being it. a temporal anchor can be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. When you're in it, you're not quite as aware of it. If you're not, for example, charting your cycle or you're not that aware of it, you know, it, you can be kind of slightly blind to it. So someone on the outside just kind of supporting you in that is really helpful. And then charting your cycle, just literally writing the days of your cycle down into your diary so that you know not to take on big stuff coming up to your period is just crucial. I mean, in terms of productivity, it's vital to learn what your energy flows are throughout the cycle and then how to adapt your business, your creativity to around that. I mean, I, I don't know how people survive by not doing that because women's energy is not the same every day. I mean, that should go without saying, but it doesn't in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's also where if you go to productive flourishing, we've got like the daily heat mapping tool, which really is something that's, that's charting like your energy is not, always the same and so we just really don't talk about that because we think of time as flat um, as opposed to time being much more fluid and having different qualities attached to it depending upon where we are in our circadian rhythms and so yeah um, the other thing that I would say I'll slide this one in there and it's it's about prioritization and about making room but I think having good conversations about the amount of money that you're going to budget for creative endeavors is a really helpful conversation to say, you know what, we've got a $200 budget. We don't like, it's not a save it, save it up because sometimes people will hoard it up and then get overwhelmed by, by what to do with it. But it's like, this is built into our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. This, we have agreed that this is important. Go to the store, buy whatever you want. I don't care because it's part of this part of our life. And especially, this is especially true. Um, if you are in the situation where you have a mother that's staying at home, taking care of yeah. kids and things like that, because in that situation, she loses a lot of economic autonomy. Absolutely. For me, that is why I had to earn money from literally when my first child was three weeks old. I had to find some way to earn some money for me. So I felt I had a vote on the money that I got to spend, you know, on my side of life. So I I really hear that. And I really, yeah, I really echo that. Um, I'm going to pause right here. You actually have some other books that might help women who are interested in charting their cycles mm -hmm. and energy. So you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about that before we jump on? Yeah, sure. Um, Moontime um, was my first book and it's 
um, usually at number one in the US on Amazon in the menstruation um, genre. <laughs> there is actually a genre of menstruation books. Um, <laughs> the things you discover. I didn't know I was going to write a book on menstruation. I didn't know I was going to... did not know that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know I was going to become an authority on the subject, but there we go. I didn't know it. we were going to be talking um, about menstruation so today. There we go. That really kind of introduces you to the kind of the, the energy of the cycle, the archetypes of the cycle that a woman moves through um, on a monthly basis um, and really gives women a lot of support in looking after themselves at all points in the cycle. It's called Moon Time, a guide to celebrating your menstrual cycle. I don't mean as soon as a woman starts her period, she kind of, you know, starts cheering and says, yay, I've got my period. I don't mean it in that sort of celebration. I mean, getting, becoming aware of the whole of your cycle that you go through again and again and again as an adult woman and the gifts that each part of the cycle has. So the full energy that we seem to kind of totally overlook at ovulation. Most people haven't even heard of that, but the full energy then, and then rather than just being negative about menstruation and about the bleeding, grumpy woman at that part of her cycle, being aware that our intuition is far higher at that level, being aware that our visioning is far higher. So when you are planning creative work, when you are incubating and gestating ideas, that dark part of the cycle is the time to do it because you're naturally very, very intuitive. So that book is, it's a short, easy read and a real introduction for any woman who has not got much knowledge about her cycle. I'm not talking about biological knowledge. I'm talking about the more intuitive understanding of her cycle and her energy systems. That is a really great introduction to it. Thanks. Yeah. So, you know, this is why I love having, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that I mentioned what if women cared about productivity because... This is the type of conversation that we don't often hear come up when we're talking about productivity and creativity and time management and prioritization, but it's so important. I mean, at least half of the world's population deals with this, and it's not being talked about, mm. which is frustrating. No, no, no. We're just expected to work nine to five, five days a week, um, every week the same, and women's bodies do not work like that. So, you know, it's, it's a conversation that needs having. Alrighty. So, um, I'll stop patting, um, patting ourselves on the back and move on. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to switch it over from Lucy, the author to Lucy, the person, yeah. um, just for a little bit. So you've got a lot of cookies in the oven right now with your writing and your publishing company and your motherhood and relationships and all the oh, other, yeah. you know, <laughs> so what are the one to three most important practices or habits that are helping you balance your time between those endeavors and motherhood and, and taking good care of yourself? Um, okay, so number one is cycle awareness and planning my life by my cycle, number one. Number two is keeping open. I'm very good at shutting down and running away and not talking to anybody. And that's when you're in a partnership, not very good. Um, when you're a mother, it's not very good. So really learning to stay, stay open, stay open to the people around me, um, all my support systems and stay open to myself, stay open to my creativity rather than kind of, you know, doing a huge splurge and then shutting down and doing nothing, you know, trying to keep open to process, open to the flow coming through me. Um, then yeah, you always you ask me things, and I, the one and the two are there, and then the third one. The third one is is support and teamwork. I have been a real. I'm a lone wolf. I like to do st stuff by myself because because you know I know what I'm doing and I work fast and you know all of that. 
and then there's only so much you can do by yourself. And when you have the amount of stuff on that I do, there comes a point when you spend all your time doing admin rather than the creative stuff. And so my big learning curve at the moment is I've just taken on a personal assistant um, and I've taken on some help on social media. And so learning to co-create, um, that's, that's a really interesting dance for somebody who, who likes being a lone wolf. So learning to, again, let the support in and, and find ways to, that making fun with people can be as fun as making stuff yeah. by myself. Well, just some unsolicited, you know, help here, but um, learning to delegate is a skill just like anything else. Mm. <laughs> I'm learning that. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, I mean, people aren't good, especially, you know, hyper creative, you know, um, creative giants and things like that, just not good at it natively because everybody moves too slow and doesn't do it the way you want to do it. Damn right. <laughs> but eventually, like you learn some of the things that you learn that there's just a limit to how far you can take your great work by yourself and yeah. learning to delegate is a skill. This yeah. is no, that's absolutely. All that's, that's very much where I'm at. And, um, you know, what the real thing was, was me, despite spending all of my time doing creative stuff, actually having to really value what I can give to the world, what my skills really are, rather than trying to be it all, rather than trying to do it all myself, which, you know, is kind of seen as a moral high ground, you know, I'm independent, I can do it myself, actually to value what my real, real skills are and hone in on that and prioritize them, give them the time. Say, you know, not everyone can write the books that I write, therefore I'm going to allow myself to write the eight books that are stacking up in, on my computer rather than answering everybody's emails that you know, somebody else could do. Yeah, I, I tell a lot of people this, and I try not to do it in a way that triggers pressure and over-responsibility, but think about it this way. Like, the work that you do in the world is uniquely, like, you're the only person that can do that, and it's medicine in a certain way. Mm. Um, if you really take that seriously and you value your medicine, really the, co the question should be is, how can I get my medicine to the most people in the world who need it? Absolutely, and that's where I got to, but that's a big, scary thing to do. You've got to really own that, and that's, you know, that can feel egotistical or that can feel a bit, you know, kind of being up your own arse kind of thing, <laughs> you know, whereas actually, you know, you're, you're right, it is the medicine and it, it is unique and it needs, it, it needs you to be able to do it your way. So, yeah, but it's, it's a big thing to admit. It's a big thing to admit and it also makes people scared. So like with a lot of creative mm. giants, it's like, oh crap, now I have a responsibility and I didn't want that, mm. right? Mm. And so that it creates, you know, we go from like, oh, that's a luxury on the creative side. Oh, that's a luxury mm -hmm. to be able to do all these things to, mm -hmm. oh crap, people actually need this. Now I got to mm. do it. And we have all sorts of ways of building a mental labyrinth for ourselves to run around in. Mm. Mm. <laughs> So you might have answered it already, but what's the most unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing? Ooh, the most unanticipated challenge. Um, I think just that I have started so many things that I'm now at the stage where I'm having to choose. I'm having to prioritize. Um, and some of that's having to be chosen based on money, based on which brings in the most money. Some's based on what takes the most time, and is that time valuable? But it's, you know, when you're starting off creatively, you know, you're trying to get every opportunity you can, and you're prepared to work for free. And, you know, you're, you're really just grabbing for every, every chance. 
And I'm now at the next level where the chances are coming flying at me and I've got to learn to say yes and no. And it means passing up some things that are really exciting. And that's that's hard. And having to make the financial decision of, you know, that sounds fun, but it's going to take up too much time and not earn me the money. And, you know, we're still at the stage where we're both now employed, self-employed by our company. Therefore, we have to be responsible in our decisions because it's all of our family earnings. So it's not just about fun anymore. It really has to pay. So it's kind of that constant balancing act between what's going to pay, what's going to be fun, what do I really want to do, you know, all of that, and then letting stuff go, um, letting it pass by or even dropping stuff. Um, so, for example, I had to drop my um, contributing editorship of Juno in order to a junior magazine in order to be able to make room for Womancraft Publishing to to come into being. Womancraft Publishing is here and it is everything I dreamed it would be, but it means I don't have as much time for writing my own books. You know, so there's always this kind of trading horses. Yeah, you're in what um, for those of you who have read the, my book, The Small Business Life Cycle, you're you're in stage three, and it's just I know, I know, hands up, I've read it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I saw myself there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a fun place to be, but it, you're no. it's just not you. I mean, it's just part of the growth, and and you're not alone in that. And and it's a place to be really grateful for. Exactly. I mean, my yeah. goodness. I mean, I I four and a half five years ago was a depressed stay at home mother, thinking what the hell is my life going to be, and I'm now a published author and a businesswoman and known for my work. And wow, what a privileged position to be in. I mean, I constantly have to pinch myself over that <laughs> well you get to stage three and you re realize the real depth of shakespeare's statement that you know heavy is the head that rests the crown like you you uh. end up getting there and it's like it's great to wear the crown and have it but it can be heavy at times mm. Mm. there so, is only so much you to be spread around <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. um so if people remember nothing else about you and your work in this conversation what's the one thing you want them to take away from our call today or from our from our um, um podcast today um, my motto, my motto that has guided me through, it's not mine anyway, it's Theodore Roosevelt's, but my, the, the motto that has guided me through every single step of my creative and creative entrepreneurial journey, which is this, do what you can with what you have, where you are. Don't, don't put it off until next year or when the kids are older or when I've got enough money or when I'm good enough. Start now. Find some way to start whatever you can, in whatever way you can, just little by little, but start now. Do what you can with what you have where you are. That is also one of my favorite quotes, and so I love <laughs> that you ended there. So thanks so much for jamming with me today on The Creative Giant Show. It's been such a pleasure, Lucy. It has been an honor having followed you for so long. I'm just delighted to have spoken to you. Okay. And for those of you Creative Giants listening to the show, make the time to create something today or tomorrow. You can, will you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.